Our passage in Isaiah on this fine Easter morning is a heavenly scene again on the mountain of the Lord. We were on the mountain of the Lord last week for Palm Sunday. We were on the mountain of the Lord down at the beach today. And again, we are on the mountain of the Lord. So as we begin, let's hear some thoughts that children have about heaven. These all come uh, mostly from a book entitled, Angels Must Get Their Wings by Helping Little Angels Like Me, by David and Elizabeth Heller. So here are some thoughts about heaven from children. There are no doctors or lawyers in heaven, you know. They don't need them. Because God does all the healing and because arguments are against the law. <laughs> when asked how did heaven begin, one seven-year-old says this, well, there were a lot of people in the ancient years and they were crying because their grandmas and paws were dying and God said, all right, all right, all right, all right, already you win. And so he made heaven a beautiful place and he let the grandparents stay there forever. A six-year-old said this, God is sitting in heaven, but he isn't on the throne or anything else. No, sir. He's sitting in a garden playing with the children and the animals and letting them climb all over him. <laughs> that is a beautiful picture. When asked if there was a test to get into heaven, an eight-year-old said, nope. God just kisses you, pats you on the head, and says, welcome aboard. Lastly, we end with a joke. An exasperated mother whose son was always getting into mischief finally asked him, how do you expect to get into heaven? And the boy thought about it and said, well, I'll just keep running in and out and in and out and in and out and keep slamming the door until St. Peter says, for heaven's sake, Dylan, either come in or stay out. <laughs> As we've been talking about the mountain of the Lord, I've been struck by what a challenge it is for us to envision a place we've never seen before. Heaven is a place we have not seen, but most of us would say, like these children, that we have an idea of what it's like. Before the internet, if any of you can imagine that day, and we wanted to go to a new city or country that we'd always dreamed of but had never been, we would rely on postcards or the Encyclopedia Britannica or something and word of mouth. And not that much longer before that, people wouldn't have even had a picture of far off lands. And we know that our friends are always happy to tell us the best places they think that we should go and see. And when we tell them we're going someplace, we want to tell everybody how they should navigate a city or the best tips for respecting a culture or the best food to eat. But we can't do that with heaven, can we? I mean, even those who report that they've seen it for a few minutes, they tell us that it's light and it's love and goodness. And we think, yeah, we know that but we haven't experienced that yet for ourselves fully. In our scripture today, Isaiah gives us another picture on the mountain, the dwelling place of God. It's not about puffy clouds and golden streets. It's about how the Lord Almighty will tenderly care for people 
And this is a reassuring scene where we read of the compassion and the provision of God. Jesus' resurrection gives us so much more than a clean heart, although a clean heart is what we need, amen? amen. But the Lord gives us a beautifully restored universe with him where there's relationship and growth and peace. This is the word of the Lord from Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred will be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Let us pray. O Savior divine, Jesus, you have given us a true glimpse of your glory through the beauty of your inspired word. We seek your wisdom and insight on this most important and special Resurrection Day. Amen. Through this year, we are studying the book of Isaiah, and while we are only right now in chapter 7, we decided to travel around in the book for the various high holy days, utilizing various passages. And so today, we are in 65, which is one of the final chapters in Isaiah. It anticipates judgment for those who ultimately leave God. But it anticipates blessing for those who remain faithful. The setting is Jerusalem after the exiles have now been home for decades. And while the city has been rebuilt somewhat, it is not the same place. They have come home and these years have been difficult, hard. Isaiah is writing to a people who wonder how everything is going to turn out in the end. They have been redeemed, but don't live in the fullness of what has been promised by Yahweh. So these words are meant to encourage them. And when we think about that idea, there's a parallel for us on this very day, isn't there? The children of God were able to come home to freedom. Hallelujah. But life was still hard for them. We are saved by Jesus, hallelujah, and life is still hard for us. The exiles needed to know that there was more waiting for them and a glorious day to come, and we need that message also. Easter is a day we celebrate, but it's so much more because Easter inaugurated a brand new era 
of God's presence with us in powerful, amazing, life-changing ways. And this passage reminds us there is more coming. Isaiah paints a picture of God's kingdom, which will be similar but also different than what we know here. This passage doesn't focus on a beautiful place as much as the experience that the people of God will have there. Sometimes when I think about heaven, I find myself thinking about a static place instead of a community. Sometimes I think about the throne room of God, which we should, but the prophet would have us think outside the throne room about what daily life will look like. So I want to look briefly at four components of the future that God gives the exiles as a promise, which is also a promise for us as Easter people. So the first component of life is in the future is joy. God invites those who dwell together with him to be glad and rejoice. Rejoicing is the hallmark of the new creation. Think about how much joy we have when we have new things. We like to drive our cars until they pretty much fall apart. (laughs) And so we had a Honda that had over 400,000 miles, and I rejoiced when we got a new car and drove it off the lot. Imagine how God is remaking all of heaven and all of earth new because the Lord knows we get worn down spiritually and emotionally by the ugliness of life and the pain of disease, the sadness of broken relationships, the damage of of our actions that we just can't seem to change on our own. Everything, Isaiah says, will be forever new. We will rejoice even more when we are in a place of no more weeping and distress. The pain and trauma that we experience on earth sometimes feels more than what we can bear. I could live with a little trash on the streets, but how wonderful to live in a place where there is no sorrow. That's why the people in Revelation cry out, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, come and save us. Rescue us, God, from this place where we can't escape the heartaches and the difficulty, the anxieties and the insecurities, the injustices and the death. Jesus, come and save us from the world we have made. Isaiah tells us there's not going to be anything distressing from the outside or from the inside. We're not going to need to worry if someone hates us. We're not going to have to worry if we're truly forgiven or not. We're not going to have self-sabotaging thoughts. Those things won't even be a memory for us. And God says, you know what else? The former things, the former ways that we have been estranged will no longer be remembered. As far as the east is from the west, God will forgive us. We have that grace offered here, but sometimes we still wonder, don't we? Sometimes we still hold on to some of those things and we think, am I really forgiven? Can I forgive myself? Sometimes my neighbor doesn't forgive me. My sister doesn't forgive me. How do I live with that? And God says those things are going to be a distant, distant memory. Although Jesus has offered us grace for centuries, now forever that will be the reality for those who trust the Lord. In a small group this year where we watched uh, the show The Chosen, someone quoted from memory a beautiful quote from Pope Francis from a talk he gave on World Day of the Sick in 2014. 
The pontiff was saying how Jesus meets those who are burdened down by illness. Those who live with chronic, chronic disease. And he said this. When the Son of God mounted the cross, he destroyed the solitude of suffering. Do you know how often people suffer in solitude thinking that no one is with them? Jesus illuminated the darkness. We thus find ourselves before the mystery of God's love for us, which gives us hope and courage. Hope because in the plan of God's love, even the night of pain yields to the light of Easter. Even the night of pain yields to the light of Easter. And courage, which enables us to confront every hardship in God's company in union with him. Amen. We no longer endure the pain of life alone. No more. Because of Christ who enters into our experiences with us, who stands with us in solidarity in all of our pain and sorrow. And one day he will take our many, many sufferings fully away. And in this we wait in hope and rejoice in our marvelous God. The second component we see here is life. In verse 20, it says that there will be no more death. That's so hard for us to comprehend, isn't it? A few weeks ago, we talked about the original sin of the first people in the Garden of Eden who were wanting to be in control, wanting to be in control of what they did and then to decide what the outcome would be for their actions. Now, part of the consequence God gave was to shorten the lifespan of humanity. And they had to understand death. But that wasn't the original plan of creation we are made to live, not to die. And because God understands the abyss that we face in death, the terrible finality of saying goodbye to people that we love, the Lord offers life. And that is the good news of Easter, how Jesus has conquered death. While we still grieve, Paul says, we do not do so as people who have no hope. Praise to the Lord for dying in our place and rising to new life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And all those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Amen. The third component of Isaiah's poetic vision is connection. In verses 21 and 23, we see a new kind of connection that we will have with the land. In Genesis, work was part of the curse. And here there's a beautiful synergy in how people will plant and enjoy the work of their hands. They no longer need to survive by the sweat of their brow. The land isn't going to work against them. We will love getting our hands dirty and then eating what we grow. This is not a picture of idleness, but of creation restored to a garden in the middle of a city. Our dear friend David Cole, who was a retired professor who is now with Jesus living the reality of what he professed, used to tell me, in heaven, you know, Colleen, we're going to keep learning and becoming and growing. We're not static. We're not made to be perfect because only God is perfect. So we will be productive in a fun and fulfilling way. We are also, Isaiah says, going to be wonderfully connected to one another what is described here is healthy, trusting community. No one steals what another person builds or grows. Those who are enemies will now be friends. There's no hurting one another from fear. 
There's no one is going to do anything to you. And nature is fully connected together in harmony. The wolf and the lamb, the lion and the ox will feed together. This is a picture of peace. No more clashes between various species. No more tornadoes or earthquakes or fires. Creation at its pinnacle is at rest with itself and with God. It may seem impossible, but that is what Easter does. It makes everything good possible. Dorothy Sayers said, God did not abolish the fact of evil. God transformed evil. He did not stop the crucifixion. He rose from the dead. Easter brings part of the kingdom of heaven to earth now, and soon we shall see the culmination of everything God is revealing. Nothing is impossible with Jesus. The last component we want to talk about is, uh, in the passage is oneness with God. Verse 24 says, Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Again, Let's go back to the garden. Remember God saying to Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I was afraid, and so I hid. No more, no more hiding. Now there's going to be a continual flow of communion and communication with the Lord of life. Mutual love and understanding, acceptance of God's rule in God's house, and trust in the life he offers. When we live with people, sometimes we know them so well, we can finish their sentences, can't we? There's a comfortable intimacy here with the creator whom we are made to know and long to have close. This week, I read a commentary, and it said how when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus says that, he's quoting from the Psalms. The psalmist is in, is in pain and says, God, where are you? Why have you left me? That's the common cry of humanity. Jesus cries out, feeling alone and bereft on the cross so that we don't ever have to feel that way. Jesus takes on our abandonment so that when we call out to God, God is there among us forever so that we never feel forsaken. It's powerful. Heaven is going to be much more than we can fathom. I was pondering this week how, again, I make heaven so small in my mind. I think about this little thing and all of these people, but then I started thinking, Colleen, think about how big the earth is. One geography teacher my husband Mark had in high school told her class how they could spend the rest of their lives traveling just around California and not see it all. We live in a really big world full of intricate and beautiful places. We can't see the end of the heavens because they just keep going. What is a new heaven and a new earth going to be like? We're going to spend forever exploring its nuances and depths. And then we will be in a growing relationship with God, with each other, with the land, with all the creatures. All of those things that will give us life and fulfillment. So we hold on to what we can grasp with our finite minds here. And then we wait in expectation for the awe and the wonder that we will one day know. Like most of life, heaven is a place we have to experience for ourselves to truly know it. 
And those who have been given a glimpse or a vision of eternity usually say how they have been eternally changed by what they saw. We are people who have been eternally changed because we have met the maker of heaven and earth. And when we go there, we will be changed again in ways that we will love. So today we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, who opened a whole new way for us to know God and the infinite possibilities for an entirely new reality on earth. And right now, right now in this moment, God is recreating and transforming the old into new. Right now, as we sit here, God is recreating and transforming the dead into life. He is transforming the impossible into the possible, the weeping into rejoicing, the condemned to forgiven, and the fearful to the bold. Easter is so much more than getting into heaven. It is the channel that opens up a whole new heaven and earth and relationship with God and the redeemed. So let's end with another quote from a child. Dear God, I am amazed at something. I think you are truly God. Heaven is so big, which means it must be heavy. And yet it can hang so high up in the sky above the clouds. How do you do that? Okay, I was just wondering. Amen. May we all come to the risen Lord with a trust and the wonder of a child today. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.